thwarted gigs. Well, I suppose once in a while every rock star has one. As we told you in our last episode, our one and only live performance in France was preceded by a bad trip, but somehow the next day we made our way out of the Netherlands and drove to Tourcoing, a relatively obscure city on the border of Belgium. If I were to try to give you a comparable municipality in the U.S., in terms of urban appeal and things to do, it might be Bridgeport, Connecticut. Apologies to both towns. I'm sure if you actually live in either of those places, you manage to find the charm. But Tourcoing's is not obvious. When we pulled into town in the afternoon, pretty severely hungover, it looked like a ghost town. We'd been invited to perform a short set with some other local acts in a small club that had a monthly live radio broadcast called Gimme Five, a showcase for five artists or ensembles. When we got to the club, they were setting up the sound system, and a couple of the other acts were milling around. There was a rap duo and an aspiring female vocalist who'd brought along her backing track, her husband, and her kid. She was wearing a pretty daring spandex outfit. The radio show host was an ebullient young guy with clunky glasses who made us all take a selfie together, cleverly positioning the camera so you couldn't tell there were just a few other stragglers in the folding metal chairs facing the stage. The drive from Amsterdam to Tourcoing had been slow. I was nearly asleep at the wheel. The song that has marked this road trip was the Ray Davis one, We Will Get There. Coming from such a friend, it felt to me like a personal encouragement. As soon as we arrived in Tourcoing, we went walking around the area where our gig was supposed to happen, trying to discreetly check the spot, still not being sure we would attend the show as far as I was concerned. But right then, a guy came to us on the sidewalk. Oh, you are Imre Lodbrogi, sa petit ami. Welcome. You're a bit early. The guy was nice, and his enthusiasm convinced me. The nauseous day before in Holland had opened our appetite, and we hadn't had a bite all day. Should we grab some sandwich quickly? No. We decided to wait for celebrating the end of the gig at a nice restaurant nearby once done with it. So we showed up at 8.30, and we were introduced to the local artist, Invited by Radio Tourcoing. And one by one, the performances started. I won't make any comments because they might sound mean and that's not what I want. Let's just say that it reminded me of my early days of passing auditions when I couldn't believe the total absence of self-consciousness of some aspiring artists. They made me want to run and hide under the rug in their place. This evening in Tourcoing, it was touching, and actually, a little rock band was pretty okay. And there was this nice woman, dressed up, acting and singing, as if at the Grammy Award. Maybe we were the best of them all. Maybe we were the worst. All I can say, we made it. And the speaker host of the show made some jokes about the lyrics of our songs. I couldn't tell how much irony was in it. I was checking my watch because my stomach was gurgling alarmingly. The time had come 
to shake a few hands and give a few bees and split out of there. But at this point, a short little guy grabbed us on the threshold of the joint to express his great enthusiasm about our gig and asked for some selfies together. A fan. Of course, night had fallen in the meantime and Tourcoing, being not Las Vegas, every cafe and restaurant was long closed. We got back to our Airbnb, which in this gloomy town was a real little Versailles, and ordered some pizza and coke. This time, the bad trip was really over. If you're a performing artist, that may not sound so bad to you, but we'd gotten accustomed to our modest but devoted little following in the U.S. When my petit ami invited me for the first time in New York in March of 14, he was to play a gig in a fancy venue. I jumped in without thinking twice, which was pretty daring, I might say. The last time I had climbed on a stage had been about 40 years before that, in some Paris suburb club. What struck me from our first gig in the States, and we had plenty to the last, has been the incredible warmth of the audience. Whatever the performance, we've always had cheerful and supportive feedback, with many smiles and plenty of applause. From what I remembered from my past, you couldn't take that kind of thing for granted in France. This might be explained by the fact that the American people are so much more spontaneous and less cynical than the French. In one world, I felt spoiled. My petit ami and I have toured pretty much around the world, but I was always reluctant and fearful to play in France. Actually, the one and only time we did it was in Tourcoing. But we almost made it a few years before in Normandy. I have some friends living near my house there, in the small town of Conche, Sandrine and Ketel. They both suggested we should have a gig in a cafe over there. And as we were staying at my friend's house, my petit ami insisted we should apply for it. Well, as reluctant that I was, I couldn't say no. So we walked up the street to this joint. But what did we see stuck on the door? A poster. A poster that actually was displayed in every boutique of Conche, from the boulangerie to the real estate agent. And what did the poster show? A picture of Little Red and the Rooster, a duo composed, it seemed, of a corn-fed Midwestern American gal and her Normandy bluesman boyfriend. Doppelgangers. I swear, if you looked at their picture from a distance, it could have been us. And they'd mopped up the gig at the local tavern. We decided to throw in the towel and just go watch their show. Well, maybe we had it coming to us in Conche. Because our friends, Sandrine and Ketal, had indicated that our act would be a shoe-in at the local tavern, I hadn't done my usual reconnaissance in advance. Usually, when trying to book us a gig in an unfamiliar city, I do a fair amount of internet research. 
That's what I did, for example, when I was looking for a spot for us to play in Brighton, England. I googled Brighton small, weird, live music venues and came up with a quirky little establishment run by a woman with the evocative name of Jane Bombain. I'm Jane Bombain. Uh, this is my cafe, Bombain's, and that's me up there. I even found a couple of YouTube videos of her playing an organ and singing while wearing some sort of fishbowl on top of her head. That seemed promising. She accepted our proposal of playing for tips, though she couldn't promise us a big crowd. We had another gig arranged in London later that week, and I'd figured we'd just hop on a train through the channel from France, but Imre insisted we take the ferry instead sailing from the coast of Normandy to East Sussex, which is why I wanted to schedule something in Brighton, where we'd be spending a couple of nights. Crossing the channel by ferry sent me back to my very youth, when it was the only way to go to Great Britain, and when Great Britain was the place to go, for many reasons. And a ferry being a boat, I mean, a real big one, not like that small Volendam Marken one. It's always for me a moment of adventure, and I figured it would be for my petit ami also. Normally, the time it takes to cross the channel is about three hours maximum. This day, when we lifted anchor from Dieppe, it happened to be a bit longer. We were comfortably seated in the lounge bar at a table near the window that looked out on the open sea. Quite a smooth cruise, which happened to become even smoother a bit later. My petit ami was knitting, I was reading, when we heard an emergency announcement in the speakers asking if there was any doctor on board. One passenger seemed to be in trouble. A few people immediately rose up. Apparently, there was more than one doctor around. The next step was quite surreal. The ferry slowed down its pace, ending up being totally immobilized. All the engines had stopped, and there we were, floating like a huge piece of cork, gently swinging on the surface of the waves. Stuck. In French, in the times of sailing ships, there was a word for it, when not a sigh of wind would blow the sails. La bonasse. There we were. As for the boat, time seemed to have suspended its tickling. Total silence added to the surreality of the situation. The problem, aside from a passenger being endangered, was that we were supposed to have a gig that same evening in Brighton, and it was looking more and more compromised. I obviously should tell you at this point that my petit ami, on top of being my backup singer, ukulelist, cellist, fellow traveler and best life companion, is also the most remarkable agent this side of the cosmos. Among other things, she manages to get us a gig wherever we roam. The most improbable ones also. Finally, 
The voice on the loudspeaker gave an explanation to our immobility. An emergency helicopter had been sent from the coast of France to pick up the unfortunate passenger. I crossed my finger for her or him, and in fact, after a while, we heard the identified flying object coming out from the clouds, then disappearing. The boat restarted. At this point, I figured the gig was cooked, and to be honest, I didn't mind too much, anticipating a nice tête-à-tête dinner with my petit ami. But being a goody two-shoes, I didn't want to let down our host. I dragged Imre to the venue, which turned out to be a charming hole-in-the-wall restaurant. Jane was just as quirky as she'd appeared on YouTube, and there were a few other wackadoodle patrons ready and willing to hear our set. Jane plopped two shots of Jack Daniels in front of us, and we started playing, but almost immediately things got pretty weird. Our table appeared to be moving up and down, so each time we'd reach for our drinks, we nearly spilled them. We looked at each other. Maybe Jane was one of those knocking table spiritists? (laughs) She and her wackadoodle patrons had a good laugh at us, but later Jane showed us the mechanical operation under the table. For all that we've said about our happy performances stateside, there was, in fact, one thwarted gig that took place in New York City. The one dedicated to... Freddy. How can I introduce Freddy? Some people just escape any possible description. Oh, I have an idea. I think this tells pretty much about the guitarist, but what about the man? I guess he's part of this rare species known under the name of beautiful losers, as Leonard Cohen once put it. In truth, some kind of a Martian fallen to earth. Sometimes I feel like a Our friendship started in high school and ended, well, it never really ended, although I have little hope of ever seeing him again. I hate to advertise my own stuff, but I can't help suggesting the listener to read the book written a quatre mains with my petit ami. Who the hell is Imre Lodbrog? Available on Amazon, among other places. The real title should have been Who the hell is Freddy Krueger? whose real name was Frédéric Tchekovic. Anyway, I thought the New Yorkers should hear about this phenomenon of a guy and musician. So we picked him as the subject of the gig. Freddy was a hell of a rocker. So for this show, we would go electric. Meaning, that my petite amie shifted from her ukulele to an electric bass. She had never touched one before, but after a few practice sessions, she could have applied for playing in a garage rock band. 
I wanted this gig to be at the level of the person he was dedicated to. So, no messing around. One hour practice every day. Only rockers, among which, of course, this song I had written for Freddie. When the day of the gig came, I felt a little nervous, but also quite confident. We were ready, Freddy. The sound check was okay, and it was time for me to get a shot of Jack Daniels, waiting for the audience to show up. Except, nobody showed up. Nobody but my two old friends, Joel and George, always supportive. What did we do wrong? My petite amie had sent, as usual, a collective mail to all our fans. She had posted the event on Facebook. I had done the same, but the room was empty. Still, we made it. We did the whole set with all our might, giving it our best. But heading back home, I felt pretty disappointed. Not for me or Freddy. Thinking back about it, the explanation seemed obvious. Whatever Freddie was involved in all his life ended up as a failure. He, who had told me ages ago, I'll never be happy until I'm on stage, facing a large hall filled with people and a high wall of amps at my back. Some other time, Freddy, I swear. There was something very poignant in the fact that virtually nobody showed up for this gig. As he said, Imre had identified Freddy as a beautiful loser. In fact, he once called him the king of losers, by which he obviously didn't mean the guy lacked musical chops. I can attest to his skills. Imre showed me some video he'd shot of Freddie the last time they were together, and his playing was on par with some of the greats. Though, when he paused to face the camera and philosophize for a moment, he definitely looked like a bit of a looney tune. Anyway... Maybe a gig dedicated to celebrating the genius of the king of losers was doomed from the get-go. There were a few more shows like that, where fate seemed determined to undermine our own artistry. Like the time we played a small cafe in Riga, where the audience consisted of, as Imre put it, three Latvian guys laughing at their own jokes. Well, they also liked the title of one of our songs, Naked Lady with a Ukulele. Then there was the time in Costa Rica when we set up at an outdoor bar for 
American expats, and the microphone went dead just before we started our show. We played an inaudible acoustic set while the bar's patrons got tanked and yammered across the tables, oblivious to our travails. Oh, and there was one gig where we never even made it to the stage. That was on our ill-fated spring break trip to Miami. I'd done my usual internet sleuthing and managed to insert our act into the lineup at a weirdly glitzy-looking venue on North Beach called Miami Live. The venue quickly produced a digital flyer for our act, and we began fielding a ton of emails urging us to get our friends to order expensive VIP seating with a $50 prepaid bottle of champagne on top. It was pretty clearly a money-making scam, and all the online photos seemed to indicate that the regular clientele were of a hip-hop orientation. Acts were instructed to arrive with their backing tracks on CD. It appeared everybody just rapped with a single mic. I quickly wrote the management and asked about the PA system, noting that our usual setup involved two vocal mics with stands plus a third for Emory's acoustic guitar. We'd also need a couple of chairs. They wrote back, We have what you need. We decided to believe it. And so we went there. The Miami club was located in some peripheral zone of the city, not very lively. We were in advance, as usual, to check the spot from the outside and noticed through a poster that we were actually programmed for the evening among some other gangster rap artists. Also, it appeared from their names and pictures. There was an Indian restaurant next door where we had some mild burning chicken masala and a few beers for me. My petit ami is naturally dosed and never needs a booster before any event. Then we entered the Miami club. The memory I keep from this whole field gig is from the beginning to the end, the extremely warm and cheerful welcome from the local hip-hop youngsters for the two weird acoustic musicians we were. Weirdness is always relative to where you are. I could easily be the old father of every rapper there. Actually, while waiting some sort of a dealer, the only other white person, as far as I remember, came to me at the bar to mention that Viagra could be vaped for maximum benefit. One after the other, the local artists did their show, but with no real boundaries in time. We were miles away from where we were staying, and it was getting late. So we decided to cut it short and discreetly escape the place. We had to catch a boat. This boat was our house the whole time we were in Miami. But that will be the topic of our next chapter, Spring Break in Miami. A chapter with a very special guest, God himself. (laughs) 